and welcome to Free Thought Politics Podcast, brought to you by Kurzana, the breaking news engine. So thank you guys for tuning in today for another Friday show. Um, hope your Friday's going well. Mine's going pretty well. Um, so we have 11 stories to get to today. So I do want to get right into it. I want to kind of, I want to get through all these stories. The show's only going to be 45, 50 minutes today. So I want to get through as many as we can. Um, if you guys haven't already, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Free Tea Politics, Facebook, Free Thought Politics, like, share, subscribe, and rate on SoundCloud and iTunes, Free Thought Politics, and check out our website, freethoughtpolitics.com. All right, so let's get on to the, to the first story. So a UN Rights Commission in South Sudan said Friday there was sufficient evidence to charge at least 41 senior officers and officials with war crimes and crimes against humanity. South Sudan's four-year-old civil war has been characterized by extreme brutality and attacks on civilians, but no high-ranking officials have been held to account despite African Union promises to establish a special court to try alleged crimes. The court could be set up straight away and the prosecutor could begin working on indictments, said Yasim Suka, a chairperson of the UN Commission on Human Rights in South Sudan. Under the peace agreement, those indicted can no longer hold or stand for office, Ultimately, this is the only way to stop the rampant devastation of millions of human lives by South Sudan's leaders, she said. The commission said it had forwarded a confidential list of suspects to the UN's High Commissioner for Human Rights, Zayed Ral al-Hussein. Those, those names comprise three state governors, 33 generals, and five colonels. The report, based on 58,000 documents and 230 witness statements, is a litany of horrors and extraordinary cruelty. cruelty. Some victims were beheaded, burned alive, or had their throats cut. Others had their eyes gouged out or were tortured. Sexual violence was particularly prevalent with numerous accounts of gang rape and child rape and in, case, and in cases reminiscent of Bosnia of people forced to watch or participate in the rape of loved ones. In one instance, a 12-year-old boy was forced to engage in acts with his grandmother or be killed. Member also attacked with some castrated and others raped. So... This has been this has been going on since 2013. It's been going on before that, and it's 2018, and now we're just indicting these people. They're not getting charged yet, or they they haven't been prosecuted. They're now getting indicted. So I've criticized the UN in the past, but the UN does a good job on things like this. They we need that we need that world body for things like this, because what's the U.S. going to do? Say, hey, you indict these people on war crimes or we're going to invade your country. All right, we're not going to indict these people on war crimes. Boom, now we have a war in South Sudan and we're killing people and maybe committing war crimes as well. So we need these world bodies to do these things. And I, re- I went into graphic detail on some of these things and I know it's, it's, it's horrific. Um, but I feel like in order for us to have sympathy and order for us to have passion and ca- compassion and care about what's going on in these situations, we need to know whether it be horrific details or not. We need to know. Um, so it looks like they are going to charge and they all will be indicted. This won't stop much in South Sudan. This won't, this won't 100% fix the problem in South Sudan. This will help. 
But when things like this happen, it's not just the top officials. It's top officials, it's people in the middle, it's people on the bottom. It's an idea that this is okay. It's an idea that that needs to be gotten rid of. You can arrest all the people you want, kill all the people you want, but until you get rid of that idea, nothing's going to get done. Nothing's going to change. Alright, so let's get on to the next story. So, Syrian regime airstrikes and artillery fire hit the rebel-held enclave of eastern Qatar for a sixth straight day Friday as the world struggled to reach a deal to stop the carnage. More than 400 civilians have been killed in one of the seven-year Syrian conflict's bloodiest episodes and rescuers were finding more bodies buried in the rubble. Russia, whose warplanes are also bombing the eastern Qatar region, stalled a deal at the United Nations for a 30-day humanitarian ceasefire late Thursday, but a vote was rescheduled for later Friday. Few of the enclaves estimated 400,000 residents, mostly living in a scattering of towns across the semi-rural area east of the capital, ventured out on Friday. An AFP correspondent in Duma, eastern Gruta's main town, saw a handful of people stealthily crossing rubble-strewn streets to assess damage to their property or look for food and water. Um, so, eastern Gruta, that's, you know... It has Kurds, it has Syrians, the Turks are getting involved. So you have Assad back forces, you have Kurds, you have the Turks. The U.S. is backing the Kurds, so you can make an argument that the U.S. is involved in there in some way. And now there's just this another region in the Middle East, in Syria, that is where essentially all hell is breaking loose. But I don't, I don't see coverage about this. This is the sixth day this has happened. Why is this not talked about constantly? I understand Florida just happened, what, last Wednesday. I understand that. This has, ha this has been going on for a week. We're not talking about the civilians dead there. I understand you want to cover Florida. And I understand that's in the U.S., so it, get, it gets a different priority than this. But we need to also give plenty of due attention to stories like this. Because if it's about lives, it's about human casualties, then this would be one of the biggest stories. You know, I, I try to report on this as much as I can. Even if I only do it for three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, because nobody reports on it. With the South Sudan story, nobody reports on that. Yeah, they might know about it. They might reference it. But this isn't top of the news coverage. Oh my gosh, the UN is indicting people in South Sudan for war crimes. This is a major thing. This is the first story I did. Then I go into this. Even if it's for four or five minutes, it's getting some coverage. CNN, Fox News, NBC, all those news shows have 24 hours of programming blocks. 24 hours. When there's riots in Baltimore City, or after the Michael Brown verdict, people on the ground, non-stop, they, yeah, they might go to commercial, but they'll have the split screen, so half the screen's a commercial, half the screen's is still the broadcast of CNN, because they still want to get that, they still want to have that 24-hour news coverage of that, 
You have 24 hours of programming. You can't tell me they can't find time to talk sufficiently about this. I do one hour. May I do 45, 50 minutes one, three times a week. So, at most, 50 minutes three times a week. So, we'll be looking at 100, two and a half hours, two and a half hours a week. And I'm still managing to talk about these stories. I know there's some I don't get to, but... One of the reasons I do this show is to talk about those situations. Alright, so let's get on to the um, next story. So anger erupted in a town in remote northeastern Nigeria on Thursday after officials fumbled to account for scores of schoolgirls who locals say have been kidnapped by Boko Haram jihadists. A disappearance reviving traumatic memories of the abducted Chibok schoolgirls. Police said on Wednesday that 111 girls from the state-run boarding school in Dapchi in Yobe State were unaccounted for, following a jihadist raid on Monday night. Hours later, Abdullahi Bego, spokesman for Yobe State Governor Ibrahim Gadem, said some of the girls had been rescued by troops from the terrorists who abducted them. But on a visit to Dapchi on Thursday, Gadam appeared to question whether there had been any abduction. The girls scattered during the attack, and we can't be sure whether they were lost or taken, he said. We have no certainty that these boys, Boko Haram, took these girls. These, the fact that they're referred to as boys is a problem. They're terrorists. Boko Haram is terrorists. Boko Haram, Al-Shabaab, terrorists. We've seen what they've done in Nigeria with kidnapping of young girls, not just, not just uh, these Chibok schoolgirls, what, what they do all over Africa. What terrorist groups like that do in the Middle East. So when your when your own government um can't even really protect you or is not not necessarily turning a blind eye but is almost incompetent to the situation, then it's a frightening sight. You can't how how are you supposed to be protected from terrorism when your own government's not doing anything? When they're not doing their job. That's a problem. Again. Where's the talk about this? You know, I'm not going to go into the same rant I just did on the last story, but it's been almost 11 minutes of the show. I've done three stories. doesn't take that long to talk about them. I'm sure CNN could write a script up and boom, get them hammered out in six minutes. Do that once a, once every show. And you bring some attention to these stories. Alright, so let's get on to the uh, next story. And then we're going to go to domestic policy stuff. So this has to deal with... Um, this has to deal with U.S. But not in the U.S. So, a Serbian-born suicide bomber blew himself up after throwing a grenade into the U.S. Embassy compound in... Excuse me, Podro, Podgorica, causing no injuries... The Montenegrin government said Thursday. Authorities in Podrogicho have released no theories as to the motive for the early morning attack in Montenegro, which recently joined NATO, but said it was unlikely to have been a terrorist attack. At this moment, we have not found evidence to talk about terrorism. Everything else is being investigated, Prosecutor Lepa Benanicha told reporters. In cooperation with the FBI, police are checking his social media accounts and investigating if the attacker, DJ, worked alone or had accomplices as well as what was the motive of the attack. Montenegro's deputy police chief, Enes Bakovic, 
said the attacker, identified only by his initials and a 43-year-old Montenegrin citizen, born in Serbia with no criminal record, committed suicide by activating a hand grenade M75 after he had thrown one into the embassy compound, Mendenica said. A U.S. State Department spokesman said officials were working closely with the police to identify the assailants. Montenegro's main daily, main daily paper, Vizetsky, published a picture apparently from the attacker's Facebook page showing an award he won for his service in the Yugoslav army in 1999, which was signed by the late Serbian strongman Slobodan Milosevic. This was the year in which a NATO air campaign against the rump Yugoslavia, composed of Serbia and Montenegro, ended the Kosovo War. Montenegro declared independence in 2006 and has espoused pro-Western policies ever since. Pro-white European policies. That's what Western means. I mean, if we're talking about West, Nigeria is more West than Germany. Or maybe Kenya's more West than Germany. So West really just means white European values. That's really what it means. I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, downplaying it, but we have to realize the meaning behind the term Western. Um, that's just a small little tidbit. That has nothing to do with the story. It's just every time I hear Western um, ideas, Western values, that that's what comes in mind. Um, so luckily no one was killed. No one was hurt by this. Well, except for the guy that blew himself up. Um... Luckily, no one inside the embassy, no one from Montenegro was killed by this. This appears that it may likely have been some sort of terrorist attack, um, not a radical Islamic terrorist attack. So that might be why there's not tons of media coverage, why you're not getting alerts that there was an attack at the U.S. Embassy in Montenegro. So um, this is a big story. I mean, think about it. A U.S. Embassy in Montenegro was attacked. Someone threw a grenade in and then blew himself up. If I went, if someone went to the U.S. Embassy in Canada and threw a grenade in and then blew themselves up, that would be a big deal. Obviously, Canada's a major ally of ours. If I went to the Canadian embassy in the U.S., and threw a grenade in and then blew myself up. We'd hear about it. We're not hearing about this because this doesn't fit anybody's agenda. It's not really newsworthy. But someone threw a grenade into a U.S. embassy. That seems like a very big deal to me. Whether it's in Montenegro, Canada, South Africa, Britain, or Germany, someone threw a grenade into a U.S. embassy. All right, so let's get on to the uh, next story. We're going to move on to domestic policy. All right, so the Florida high school where a former student shot and killed 17 people with an assault-type rifle is reopening for Teachers Friday as the community grappled with word that the armed officer on campus did nothing to stop the shooter. The failure, plus reports of a delay in security camera footage scanned by responding police and several records indicating the 19-year-old suspect displayed behavioral troubles for years, added to what the Florida House Speaker describes as an abject breakdown at all levels. So, that's one thing I talked about. There was a lot of stuff missed. This guy's on YouTube videos commenting he wants to be a school shooter. He's had run-ins with police in Parkland, Florida before. And nothing was done. That, 
he should not have been able to obtain or have an AR-15 with that much history. When you say, I want to become a school shooter, and you say it, if, if you say it and you're on a phone call with your friend, and somehow the NSA or we hear it, I don't, you know, we, we illegally tap that and we hear that. I don't think anything should be done by that about that. I know that's a, maybe a controversial thing, oh my gosh. But if it's done in a private matter and there's not a warrant for it, then we shouldn't, nothing should be, we shouldn't be allowed to do anything by it. But when he's on YouTube or making public comments that he wants to be a, the next school shooter, go to his house. FBI, go to his house. Do not leave until you talk to him, take him down to the station, take him down to the precinct, the FBI office and talk to him. Temporarily take his gun. I'm all for the Second Amendment. I do not believe semi-automatic rifles should be banned. But if you're on YouTube making comments that you want to be the next school shooter, you shouldn't have a gun. Maybe that's just my opinion, but you shouldn't have a gun in that situation. So there's a failure on that part. There's a failure of the FBI to follow up. There's a failure of the police to do anything when they've had numerous run-ins with this guy. And then there's a report that the armed officer, the school resource officer, stood outside of the school for four minutes full no and did nothing during this. Nothing. Knew that there was someone in there. The shooting went on for six minutes. He stood out for four minutes and did nothing while 17 kids were killed. Over 30 people shot. And he did nothing. That is cowardice in every form. I don't care. Don't say, oh, well, you weren't in a situation. You don't know. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't have done anything. But that's why I'm not a cop. That's why I'm not a school resource officer. We would all like to think, oh, we would do something. We would be the heroes. But when cops take that gun and take that badge and they say they're going to protect and serve, that's what they're supposed to do, protect and serve. And he failed at his duty. He failed at his oath to protect and serve. He is a coward. He should be charged. He was put on unpaid. Um, he was suspended and put on unpaid leave. And he later resigned. Re he later re resigned. So, obviously this guy's out. Um, they're putting... They have uh, police out front of his house because... Listen, I'll call this guy a coward all day. But I'm not going to go to... Going to his house and doing something, taking out violent vengeance is never the answer. Someone's trying to do something to you and kill and harm you, you meet them with equal force to stop them from doing accomplishing that goal. But if nobody's doing anything to you, then it's, it's ridiculous. Violence isn't the answer in that situation. So you have this coward that... Didn't go into the school. Um, you have a delay in security camera footage. Scanned by responding police. So. There's really no like. This wasn't a fluid. Like a good response. They weren't prepared for this. I'm not saying that. Oh if this officer would have went inside. Nobody would have died. That might be 100% untrue. That might be 100% true. It could be half true. We don't know. But what we do know is he was a coward and he stood outside the school for four minutes while kids were inside getting shot. 
I'm all about forgiveness. You know, I, I read my Bible every day. I'm all about forgiveness. But I'll call it like I see it. This guy's a coward. He stood in, outside while kids were getting shot and killed inside. That's cowardice in its purest form. And um, people are people are using this as, you know, people. Some people on the left are using this as, oh well, the good guy with the gun didn't work. No, that was. Listen, the way to stop a bad guy with a gun is another good guy with a gun. That can be a police officer who's well trained. That can be a citizen who's armed to care, who's licensed to carry. This coward, and I'm not going to refer to him as an officer because he's a coward. I'm not going to disrespect actual police officers who would have went in and, and done stuff like that. I'm not going to, you had the football coach who took a bullet. You had ROTC students who were using doors to shield themselves while getting shot, protecting other students, but this coward who was supposed to be, should have been technically the most brave one there because he's the one entrusted with their protection, can't do anything. And then, like I said, people, some people on the left are using this as, oh, the good guy with the gun didn't work. Uh, you know, we had an officer there. He didn't do anything. Well, if he would have done something, it might have helped. But the fact that he was with the gun, it's not like he used the gun, but he didn't use it in the right manner. He didn't use the gun. So it's essentially like he didn't have a firearm on him. If he would have used that, Things could have been different. They might not have, but they could have been. I'm not going to say definitively. But to use this as a way to dismiss the whole good guy with the gun arguments is ridiculous. Because this was a good guy. Or, this was a guy with a gun. He just wasn't a good guy with a gun. He was a coward guy with a gun. When you have a good guy with a gun, like the shooting in San Antonio. Or in um, Sutherland Springs, Texas. Um... When the guy went to the church, um, he was leaving, and you had a guy grab his rifle and shoot the guy and injure him. He didn't kill him, but he shot him and injured him So to where he pulled over on the side of the road and shot himself, and he was going somewhere most likely to do more harm. But the media doesn't talk about that good guy with a gun. So if you're a good guy with a gun... It's going to help the situation. This was just a guy who happened to have a firearm on him. This wasn't a good guy with a gun. This wasn't a bad guy with a gun. This was a coward guy with a gun. He wasn't a bad guy because he didn't go in there shooting people. Random people. He wasn't a good guy because he didn't go in there trying to get the shooter. He stood out there and did nothing. He's a coward. Alright, so, um... We're gonna go to we're gonna go to a quick break. Uh, when we do come back, we have more uh, stuff on Florida. You know, uh, they're doing town halls where they're having conversations with politicians. Um, Dana Loesch, NRA spokesman, um, spokeswoman. So these are getting heated, but I'm glad they're happening. Look, I want the conversation to happen. Um, we're gonna have some news on CPAC and some more charges in the Russia investigation if we can get to all these stories. So make sure you guys stay tuned and we will be right back.
And welcome back to Free Thought Politics, brought to you by Kurzana, the breaking news engine. Um, so something I said I wanted to start doing at the beginning of the show, or at the beginning of the second half of the show, once we come back from break it, on Fridays, is read all the names of law enforcement officers, firefighters, and um, soldiers that it, soldiers, Marines, airmen that have died in the past week. Um, you know, these are people that whether you agree with the higher ups, whether you agree with um when it comes to soldiers, especially whether you agree with the mission they're doing, they're going there with the goal to protect us. Whether that's actually what's happening or not, that's what their goal is and they should be honored for that. Um, you know, on Mondays, um we do the movie review at the end of the show. On Tuesday oh not Tuesdays. Or no, Mondays at the end of the second at the beginning of the second half, we read the names of homicide victims from Baltimore City in the past week. So this is what we're going to be doing on Fridays now. I'm not going to be going into details about how these officers died. Um, you know, I'm going to be reading their names, where they're from, how it happened, and just giving attention to them and giving them notice. Alright, so Deputy Sheriff Kevin James Stanton was killed in an automobile crash. He was a Brevard County Sheriff's um, deputy. He was killed Saturday, February 17th. Police officer Justin Bila. Um, he was in Mobile Police Department in Alabama. Killed by gunfire on Tuesday, February 20th. Corporal Mujahid Ramzidin from the Prince, George, Prince George's County Police Department in Maryland. Was killed by gunfire on Wednesday, February 21st. And then um, a canine officer, canine Ronnie, was killed by an accidental death from the Houston Police Department on Wednesday, February 21st. And that's all the um, police officers that sadly were killed in the past week, or that died in the past week. Not necessarily all were killed. Um, Captain Ernest McDuffie was... Captain Ernest McDuffie from... Uh, Fire captain from Georgia was killed after running in a park when he collapsed before being transported to the hospital. Sergeant Christina M. Schoenecker died February 19, 2018, serving during Operation Inherent Resolve. She died from a non-combat-related incident. She was assigned to the 89th Sustainment Brigade, Wichita, Kansas. The incident is under investigation. Um, so like I said, I'm not going to go into a tremendous amount of detail where we're talking about this for 20 minutes. I want to give these people homage. I want to pay respects to them, whether it be Baltimore homicide victims or people that die with die trying to protect us. So that'll be, we'll do this on Fridays at the start of the second half. Once we come back from the break. Alright, so let's get on to the next story. So, I mentioned before we went to the break about how there there are town halls going on with, you know, Marco Rubio. I guess you could call it a town hall where Donald Trump's having, you know, listening engagement, speaking um, with survivors of mass shootings um, and gun violence. And so, there's a conversation going on about it. I've never been that guy to say, don't politicize this, don't politicize it. Because 
Every little thing is political. I went through an example of how I pick up this Washington Nationals pen. How it's political. There's some political aspect to do that. How I'm able to do that. There's a political aspect to it. I had to take the Metro down to the National Stadium. Down to Nationals Park. To get this pen. The Metro is run by D.C. government. There's some political aspect to it. So everything is a political aspect to it. So I'm not the person to say, don't politicize this. Um, so when there are these conversations happening, whether it be with Marco Rubio, whether it be with Donald Trump, um, Dana Loesch, whoever it may be with, I'm all supportive of it. And one thing I'm also supportive of is young activists. Listen, I'm 21. I do my own radio. I do my own podcast. So obviously I'm a young, I guess you could say, activist. So when people are saying, oh, you're 16, you're 17, you're 18, what do you know about this? What do you know about that? I, I, I hate that. I, you know, Ben Shapiro says that a lot. Just be, you know, unless you study politics for a long time, then you don't know what you're talking about. No, that's not always the case. What, what, we have to define what study politics means. Does that mean go to university, pay tens of thousands of dollars to regurgitate information from a textbook? And then we can talk about politics, or does that mean experiencing it, talking to people, reading articles, going, you know, hearing stories? What, what does learning about politics mean? So whether you're 16, 17, 18, whatever age you may be, I'm going to listen to your political, I'm, I'm going to listen to your, I guess, analysis. Of the situation. Because we all have a voice. No matter how young or old we are. Um, so Florida, Florida Senator Marco Rubio. Says he would report. Raising the age limit to 21. For those wanting to purchase AR-15 style rifles. He said um, in a CNN town hall. Meeting Wednesday night. If you're 18 years of age. You should not be able to buy a rifle. Rubio said. I will support a law that takes that right away. I, I In my opinion. I'm against that. I think. A lot, most things should be, I think you should be able to drink at 18. I think you should be able, be able to buy a handgun, a rifle, a shotgun at 18. If you can join the military at 18 years of age, you should be able to do all those things. Am I an adult or not an adult? Am I capable of making adult decisions? Yes or no? I'm capable of, you know, going to school, getting straddled with tens of thousands of dollars of debt, but I can't buy a handgun. I can't drink a beer. So, I'd be against that. So, this article, it's titled, Marco Rubio softens on gun restrictions. Um, there's been a lot of criticism against Marco Rubio. He has an A-plus rating from the NRA. Um, some people have said, saying it's hard for, for me to see you not being the one that pulled the trigger. That's a horrible statement to make. You know... When people talk about all oh, politicians are corrupt, they're just doing the NRA's bidding. They don't care. Mark, you're, it is 1,000%, 100% false to tell me that Marco Rubio and the NRA don't care about these kids dying. Wayne LaPierre, as much as you may dislike the guy for his lobbying efforts, is not sitting in his office going, yes, more kids died. Good, good. No, Marco Rubio is not doing that either. People, These people are Deeply saddened by this. But we're downplaying that. And we're just saying. Oh no they don't care. They take millions from the NRA. 
listen, I want to have this conversation, but I want to do things that are actually going to work. If we look at gun violence, more people die through actual hands and knife attacks than semi-automatic rifles. You want to take away every semi-automatic weapon? Let's take away pistols. Some shotguns might be semi-automatic. Are we going to take away every every semi-automatic weapon? Then that'll completely erode the purpose of the Second Amendment. People fail to realize what the the Second Amendment. Here, let me read you the the full text. So, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. A well-regulated militia... You know, people would say it's easy to get a gun in America. I can get it is not easy for me to get a handgun in the state of Maryland. I had to pay $85 to take a handgun um to apply for the license. I got to do a background check. Once I do a background check and I get all that passed, I have to go to a gun shop, a licensed firearms dealer in the state of Maryland. I have to pay another pro it might be Another $85, that $85 application fee might be smaller, but I have to pay another $80, $50, to do a handgun, handgun qualification course. Then once I do that, then if I pass that, then I can buy a gun. So it's not easy to buy a gun. So they're well, it's a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. That's what the Second Amendment is for. It's not for hunting. It's not it's not for protecting someone protecting you know really you when you someone enters in your home. The second amendment is so we can protect ourselves against a tyrannical government. Sometimes just having those weapons is a deterrent. I'm not saying we should be defending ourselves and shooting government officials every chance we get, but sometimes just having those weapons acts as some sort of deterrent. So I'm all for having this conversation. I don't want these things to just be emotional, emotional, please. I want these to be, I I, I want to have a conversation about what's going to work. Let's talk about the facts. Let's talk about gun nets. Let's talk about the fact that why we don't seem to care when these things, when gun violence happens in Baltimore City, Chicago, Detroit, St. Louis, why we don't seem to care when it happens in those situations. I said it before on this show, I'll say it again. It might be a little controversial, but the reason we don't care as much about those situations, I don't want to say we don't care because I'm not saying that people on the left who don't focus on that are like, eh, who cares about the people, kids in Baltimore City dying? I'm not saying we don't care, but the reason we don't care as much, the reason we're not talking about it, the reason we're not focusing on this and memorializing their names every second is because... White people feel safe in schools, movie theaters, churches, as they should, as we all should. But they don't feel safe in West Baltimore. They don't feel safe safe in the south side of Chicago. They might not feel safe in inner city Detroit. So white people don't feel safe in there. Who cares? If I don't regularly go there, who cares? Who cares about that area? It's almost a mentality. And again, I think people care, but there is... It's not sufficient. I think people care. I think if you confronted Don Lemon or Chris Cuomo or Jake Tapper and said, hey, what about um, Sadiq Griffin, who was killed in Baltimore City last week? 
And that's just a name I remembered off the top of my head from the list I read on Monday. What about him? I'm sure he would be saddened by that. I'm not saying he doesn't care. I'm saying he probably doesn't, he doesn't know. I can almost guarantee you Chris Cuomo doesn't know. The reason we don't pay attention to this is because of that reason. Um, so. This is, we're sticking with the Florida shooting for, um, eh, two, three more stories. Just because it's such a big issue and it's not like, other stories where it's going away, and I'm glad it's not going away. I want to have this conversation. You know, I want to fix this. I don't want these things to happen. I'm not just like, listen, eh, it's a consequence of having the Second Amendment. No, I think there are things we can take while keeping people's rights that protect us. Have less stigma around mental health. Better, a lot more funding for mental health treatment. If police departments and the FBI would do their job when people like this have these views... But one thing that always happens, whether it be Vegas, um, the um, Sutherland Springs shooting, Florida, 9-11, and I throw that one out because that's one of the most famous conspiracy theories start to sprout up. It was an inside job. Sandy Hook, it never happened. That's one of the things. It never happened. The people in the it was this mass conspiracy with the whole place of Newtown, Connecticut, and it never happened. That's kind of the, that's, you know, one of the theories. That this never happened. So, some of the conspiracy theories, um, and the reason I'm talking about them is because you have people like Sean Hannity entertaining them. You have prominent Republicans. People, I mean, I, I look at, I mean, I'm friends with conservatives, and I know these people aren't experts or, um, Highly elevated in the conservative sphere. But these are people that I never thought would be entertaining these ideas. Are They're entertaining these ideas of crisis actors. This shooting didn't happen. Oh, there was a second shooter. Let's share this video. There was there was a second shooter. You know, let, one of the main ones is that um, this um, student, David Hogg, is a crisis actor. So, where that stems from is there's a video from, I think it was August or September, from him in California. There was an incident with a boogie board and his friend or something, and an ABC or CBS station, in Cal local station in California, interviewed him. And it says David Hogg from California. It's, it's this kid that was in Florida. There's no getting around that. And they're saying, oh, so this kid must like to be on TV. He's an actor. Whether he's a child actor or not, he could have starred in 50 Disney shows by now. Does not account, does not discount the fact that this was an actual shooting. It paint, it, it, I hate that I have to talk about this, but I'm talking about this because of the amount of people that are entertaining this idea. It's, I'm sorry, it's bullshit. It's some, they have this belief that It's just belief that there's some George Soros liberal communist conspiracy theory conspiracy that um, you know we're gonna have these mass shootings, we're gonna have these crisis actors, we're gonna plan this out. This is never gonna happen. We're gonna do this so that 
there can be talk about gun control, and we can take away guns, and then we can have a socialist utopia, and we can disarm the masses. So, I'm talking about this in a way to discredit it. Beca- and listen, I mean, I'm not going to, I can't come on here and say, oh, blah, 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 this is why we're just, this is this. My reaction is, this is just stupid. This is like when Sandy Hook happened, and there were videos of some of the grieving family members, I think it was an uncle, and I think he chuckled for a little bit, he chuckled. And people said, oh, he chuckled. Yeah, Sandy Hook didn't happen. There's evidence Sandy Hook didn't happen. Uh, a, a little girl who was killed in Sandy Hook, apparently her older or younger sister wore the same dress she had in another picture or a later picture. And they're saying, oh, that's the same girl. She never died. Or maybe their parents just bought them matching clothes and she liked that dress. Maybe that's a possibility. Maybe this guy was grieving in a weird way because his niece was just shot in a school. Maybe he's grieving in a weird way. In a different way. I don't want to say weird because we all grieve in a different way. It's ridiculous that we even have to talk about this. Um, these conspiracy theories are going to sprout up no matter what the incident is, whether it be Vegas, um, a shooting, you know, there are conspiracy theories around Puerto Rico, the moon landing, everything you can think of, there's a conspiracy theory about it. Listen, I'm all in for entertaining, you know, I guess I'm all for entertaining theories of what happened. But when they're so ridiculous like this, like, oh my gosh, he was on TV in a news interview in California, therefore he's a crisis actor. No! You have some random girl outside of the shooting, no evidence that she's being interviewed by a news agency, no evidence that she's actually at Parkland, at the shoot, at um the high school, and she says, oh, there was a second shooter, oh, um... The gunman who who, who did the shooting, he was running down this hallway with me, and he didn't have a gun. No evidence of that fact. Listen, if there's evidence of it, present your case, and we'll, we'll hear about it. But when it's that ridiculous and stupid, we're not even going to entertain it. Alright, so um, I want to do one more story. So this really isn't a story. This is kind of an analysis. I, I guess you could say it's an analysis. So... Still has to do with Florida, but whenever there's a shooting, whether it be Vegas, Sutherland Springs, or Parkland, Florida, we talk, or people in the media talk about, oh, these politicians only allow this to happen because of their, they love the NRA money, the millions they get from the NRA, the NRA bought politicians. Well, you should be ashamed for taking all this NRA money. Okay, yeah, be ashamed for taking the NRA money. Be ashamed for taking the NRA money. Be ashamed for taking union money, George Soros money, Koch brothers money, any lobbying efforts that are put forward to buy politicians. Be ashamed for taking that money. So here's um, the NR National Rifle Association's page from OpenSecrets.org. So in contributions, and that's contributions, like they physically donate. $2,000 of this candidate. They have donated one in 
2016, that's the most recent election cycle. They donated one, they contributed $1,085,150. That ranks 488 out of 18,819. Outside spending. That might be, now, outside spending is where they're not directly cooperating with Mark Rubio. Like, hey, we're going to spend a million dollars on this ad. No, where they're running attack ads. So oh, this candidate wants to take away your guns. Outside spending. Fifty-four million three hundred ninety-eight thousand five hundred fifty-eight, nine of one hundred and seventy. Obviously, that's still a lot, but we there are organizations that give more. So, if you want to get rid of the NRA's money in politics, get rid of everybody's. I'm all for that. Get rid of Koch brother money. Get rid of George Soros union money. Who, unions who give substantially more than the NRA. Get rid of all their money. Get at, get money out of politics and then we'd fix the NRA money in politics problem. And then you wouldn't be talking about this. Maybe these things wouldn't happen. Maybe politicians would vote a different way. I don't know. Get the money out of politics and then we'd see. But if you just want to... It's people on the left that we know take millions from corporations, unions... And big donors that come out and say, oh, this person bought by the NRA. The NRA money has, you know, it's, but NRA's buying, spending billions on politicians. Well, I just told you they're spending millions, not billions. That's a lot. They're spending billions or millions on politicians. And it's people that I know support candidates who take money from other organizations. So they enable that to happen. When Hillary Clinton takes money from Time Warner, millions from Time Warner, she enables Marco Rubio to take money from the National Rifle Association. Oh my gosh, that's so hard. No, it's a fact. When Hillary Clinton does that, she enables Marco Rubio to do the exact same thing from a different organization, whether it be National Rifle Association, Koch Brothers, whatever it may be. So this notion that the NRA is this, you know, this horrible donor of you know, they're, they're just out here buy, buying politicians left and right. That's not true. Um, their top recipients in the U.S. Senate, Roy Blunt from Missouri, got $11,900. So, not boatloads of cash Roy Blunt's raking in. I don't even know who Roy Blunt is offhand. I can't even put a face on the name. So... Thank you guys for tuning into the show today. I know we got to three, six, seven, eight stories. Um, so thank you guys for tuning into the show today. Remember, if you haven't already, check us out on Twitter at Free Tea Politics, Facebook Free Thought Politics, like, rate, share, subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud Free Thought Politics, and check out our website FreeThoughtPolitics.com. Hope you guys have a good rest of your day Friday. Have a good weekend. We'll see you guys Monday. And as always, keep fighting. Peace.